Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast. Weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Thank you so much. I mean, on one hand, I'm a bit uncomfortable before that. I know God honours. Um, God says, The Bible says, honour to whom honour is due. And, um, but I do really believe with all my heart that God doesn't honour any man or woman. He really honours His Word. The moment we're off His Word, we don't, we, we, He doesn't back us. And I've seen men and women that have followed God and everything, and they've got their eyes off the Lord, and, and the Lord doesn't favour them anymore. They lose the favour of the Lord. So what is, what is God really honouring? He's honouring His Word. So what you've seen here is because people... Us as a family have committed ourselves to God's word and to his love and devoted to him. And so just be aware of that. It's not in person. It's not a a person or any people. It's the Lord being faithful to his word. And and, um, I reckon true humility is believing, really, 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 really believing, really believing. Everything you have received came from someone else. That's what Paul said. If the gift that you have, if um, you did receive it from somebody else, why do you boast like you didn't? The moment we get proud is we think we've, re- we've got this ourselves. Any revelation I've ever received from in God is being through somebody else. Through reading the Word, well, it's someone else's writing that wrote that. Holy Spirit speaks to me revelation. It's all Holy Spirit's revelations on mine. He, give it, he gave it to me. So you can't, you know what I mean? Like pride can build up when you think, I... Uh, I did this. No way. It's never us. Never. It's all Him. Amen? Just be aware of that. Please be always aware of that. And, and, and some of the words that have been spoken, so encouraging. Um, David Haggar, as he's spoken about the new wine, he's the prophet of God. Been on our team for many years, the NCMI team, uh, Apostolic Prophetic Team. And, and that's one of the things I had in my um, scriptures, uh, in the Word today, is uh, God's left the best wine for last. And um, I want to talk about Preparing for God's last day outpouring. God's destined us as a church. I feel like, yeah, 30 years, most people in the natural, in the world point of view, they get 30 years, it's like about time to retire. You know, it's about time to, you know what I mean? Like you've, you've done your thing now, but, but I feel like we've, we've done 30 years, like Jesus grew to 30 years before he started ministry. I feel we've, as a church, we've grown into maturity of 30 years. Now we're ready for ministry. We're ready for God's poised us. Cliff Cherry was on that um, video as well, who is also very prophetic, leads a church in New Zealand. About three years ago, he says, just in his spirit while he's preaching to us, he says, I don't know about the number 30, something about 30. I think when you guys hit 30 years old, something's going to happen. He just kept prophesying there's something shifting at 30. Something's going to happen. So, But we need to prepare for it just because God's word has been spoken. Sean Bolt's prophesied over us as a church. But get ready, it's going to hit hard. And prepare, and God's brought you to maturity, and all these things, and, and, and we'll have enough milk and bread for the nations. God's thinking of the nations. You're thinking of your friend, your neighbor maybe, your workmate. God thinks of the nations. And so God wants us as a church to be poised or, or be prepared for God's outpouring. I don't know how to, I can, I can say even God's glory, because God's outpouring will be God's glory. God's glory is God's manifest presence. It's, the word glory is kabod, the, the very weightiness of God who we have in us. Paul says this mystery in Colossians 
is Christ in us, the hope of glory, the earnest expectation of glory. Not when we die and go to heaven, but now, right now. Earnest expectation of the very glory of God. Very glory of God. Acts chapter 2, I know you, many of you, I'm sure many of you have heard many prophets of God. Many men and women have spoken over the last number of years and have spoken for, for, for how long about the last great move of God? When you think of God and you know that the Word and I think of the, the pattern that's in the Word and, and there's so much about that God leaves the last, the best to last. And so if we are the ushering in generation of the King of Kings to this planet, if we are, don't you think there's going to be the greatest outpouring this world's ever seen? I'm 100% sure of that. I believe that God is, is going to, the, the, the church is going to grow up in a maturity as sons and daughters of God. Just like Jesus, doing the works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and not in a building, out in life. Everywhere you go, Jesus goes. At work, in the marketplace, at university, at school, wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. And the works will be everywhere. Acts chapter 2 verse 17, there's many scriptures about this. It says, and it shall be in the last days, God says. Paul, Peter is quoting the prophet Joel when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. In the book of Acts, 120 were there in the upper room. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. They all spoke in other tongues and other languages. And, and this noise was, everyone heard it in Jerusalem. And people, thousands of people gathered to hear what was happening. It says, and so Peter stands up in that crowd and says that, in the last days, says God, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. God is going to pour out his spirit on all mankind. If God says something, I know he's going to do it. God cannot say something and not do it. It's impossible for God to say something and then not happen. So God says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. It doesn't mean all flesh will be saved. It just means all the spirit of God is going to touch and impact everyone. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your next generation will be impacted by God. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm a very young man. So old men usually lose dream for life. Young men are full of, you know, a young teenager is full of ambition and dreams for their life. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Until the world knocks them out a bit. You know, until they get hit by the school of hard knocks. And a lot of times people lose their dream or their vision and they don't want to get up again. But old men, most old men are ready to slow down or retire or I've done my bit, I've worked and I'm going to step aside. But old men dreaming dreams, think about it. It's the opposite of nat natural. The Holy Spirit coming on an old man and go, wow, I've got a dream. That's exciting. And even on my bond servants or slaves, both... Men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It's going to touch every sphere of society, doesn't matter who you are. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. I believe the vapor of smoke must be referring to the glory of God. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into the bl in blood. That's right at the end when Jesus comes back. Before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
We're going to come into an era and a season where anyone who calls unto the name of the Lord will be saved. Because the gospel is going to be preached to all nations. But we need to be prepared. It's not going to just happen by itself. We need to be prepared. We need to get before the Father and, and seek His face. So I just want to talk about a, a few things to stir our faith so that we would do that. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about how do we prepare for God's glory. So how do we as a church, first individually, because you've got to do it individually, and then in our togetherness, how we as a church prepare for that. So first thing, John chapter 17, verse 20, all the way to 23, I'm going to read it. Jesus prays a prayer to the Father before He goes to the cross. Just like one or two nights before He dies. He's going to pray to the Father. You think Jesus, the Son of the living God, who is going to pray to God the Father? Don't you think His prayers would be answered? I mean, He's going to pray. God is going to answer His prayers. I know His prayer will be answered. And look what He says. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. So about the apostles in front of Him. But for those also who believe in me through their word. That just included you and I. 2,000 years down the track. Every single person that's ever become a Christian, become saved, except Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, heard it through the apostles' words initially. Through them and then indirectly through their writings or anyone else that's been impacted by them. We've heard the gospel now. 2,000 years later, yes, but we still heard through their word. So Jesus is praying for us. And what's he praying for? He says that they may all be one. Talk about us. That the church, the body of Christ may be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So our unity and our oneness working together as one unit would show the world that Jesus is true and real and he is Lord. It goes on to say, the glory which I have given, uh, sorry, the, the glory that you have given me, I have given them. So that they may be one as we are one. So that we're not going to walk in unity and oneness in the body of Christ without the glory of God. The manifest presence of God will bring glory. Uh, the glory of God will bring unity, oneness. Without God's glory, manifestation of God's presence, I don't believe it's possible to have it. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. The word perfect means complete. Or matured in unity like unity is to, me, is to be made one but our maturity and our completeness is going to come in unity you cannot become mature on your own because you're already outside of God's design if you try if I'm going to be a Christian all by myself all at home and I'm just going to read the Bible and follow Jesus well you're not going to grow in maturity that way because you already have taken yourself out of the model and pattern that's in the Bible the blueprint that in our togetherness we've been our unity makes us complete and mature. Are you following? That they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know, he says it again, that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. The world's going to know that Jesus was sent by the Father for salvation because of the unity we walk in. Now, how, if Jesus says, I want them to walk in unity as I am in you and you in me. So how is Jesus walking in unity with the Father? How is he, how is he walking in oneness with God? The answer is 100% obedience. And we've got many scriptures. John chapter 5, 30 says, I carry out the will of him who sent me, not my own will. Also in John 6, verse 38, I have come down from heaven to do your will, O God, who sent me, not to do my will. We know he spoke that all the time. Jesus didn't come to do his own will. He goes, he he I don't do anything except I see what I see my Father do. And the words that I speak is from the Father. Everything the Father says, I say. 
Like we can see that he was one with God because he was totally obeying God. And also in Hebrews it says, I'm here to do your way, O God. This is chapter 10, verse 7. You want to write it down. And the way it is, dis- and, and O oh God, the way it is described in your book. Jesus also said many times, that, and he also lived it out, not my will, but your will be done. Even right at the end when he was contesting about, is there another way to save mankind? Lord, if, yet, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. That's how he was one with the Father. So this is how I think unity works. This is what I believe unity works. First, you have to find peace with God. And that's only through Jesus Christ. You cannot find peace with God, oneness with God, union with God without Jesus Christ. God the Father sent Jesus for the salvation of the world. It's when you accept Jesus that you can, ex- you can find union with God because God gives a free gift of salvation through Jesus. When you put your faith in God, what He did at the cross for you, you, you made one with Him, aren't you? And when you made one with Him, you have peace with God, then you can find peace within yourself. Most people don't have peace within themselves because their spirit is spiritually dead and it fights their mind, their flesh. But when your spirit is resurrected from the dead, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, so God lives in there, the glory of God lives in there, and your mind gets renewed. The, spirit, the mind didn't get born again. You have to renew your mind. And the emphasis is in you have to renew your mind. If you don't, your mind will fight your spirit and your, and, and your mind will work with your flesh. Yeah, flesh doesn't have its own nature. The word flesh is flesh. It's not sinful nature. That's a wrong translation in in NIV. It doesn't say sinful nature. It just says flesh. So what the point is, is when your spirit is born again, resurrected, and the Holy Spirit lives in there, your mind gets renewed. Your spirit and your mind work together in union, in unity, and tell your flesh what to do. And your body has to obey. And it starts to walk in obedience and forgets the memory of disobedience. Because your flesh has memory, that's why it keeps dragging you to sin. And Romans 8 talks about, in the same way that you disobeyed, walk in righteousness now. In the same way, walk and give your body, your mortal body, to righteousness. It's really clear in the Bible. Then I find union within my spirit, soul, and body. Yep. Now I can find, now I can walk in union and unity with my family. I've got to have it here with my wife first. Because when my wife and I are in union and unity and purpose and vision and everything, then we can have it in our children. So our children, our family have grown up in unity, in oneness, and purpose, and love, and all those things. Yes, we have un- un- unforgiveness, and um, sorry, fights, and then unforgiveness, and you have to deal with it, and you get rid of it. You fight for that. You fight for that union when you have a fight. You fight and, and get rid of it, but then you walk in union, walk in unity. And when that happens, then you, in the, then you, can, you can have it in the church family. When the church family, like, it obviously starts from the eldership. I don't know if you just saw, this is a demonstration of love and unity. The elders speaking and prophesying and saying all that. So, so the elders walking in that level of unity, then the deacons will. And if the deacons, the leadership does, then the people will, the saints. You following? In the Bible, if you want to be biblical, it's elders, saints, and deacons. That's all the creatures are in the Bible. No this, that, and all this you know, words that we come up with. Just elders, which are pastors. Deacons are leaders. But deacon means servant and saints. A saint is just as anointed as anybody else. Because right. oh, it's the priesthood of all believers. Then you find when the unity is in the church family, like this church family, then we could start operating in unity in the global church family. Now, it has to be demonstrated for it to flow out. 
I mean, Psalms 133, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. It's where God commands the blessing. It's, it's like the oil hitting Aaron's head and reaching down to his beard and also his cloak. It's like the Jew on Mount Hermon. It's like when the Jew comes, it saturates everything. It's like a picture of when the presence comes, everyone gets blessed. Unity is where the presence is released. Oneness. But how does unity come? I mean, we spoke about our union and obedience to God. That's where it starts, obviously. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, They were all together, and the day of Pentecost was fully come. They are all together in one place, in one accord. And suddenly there came a rushing of a mighty wind. They were all, in, all together in one place, in one accord. There was 120 in the upper room. They are all in unity, and the presence of God came. Now, they were waiting and because Jesus says, wait until you receive the promise of my Father. He told them 10 days before that. They were up there for 10 days. But do you know there was a 500 people, the Bible says this, 500 people saw Jesus after his death. So 500 people, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that 500 people witnessed the resurrection. So I'm very convinced that Jesus told 500 people, go to the upper room and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. But only 120 were there. So 380 people, think about it. That's an encouragement to a pastor. They didn't even listen to Jesus' instructions. Jesus told them, go wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. After they saw him do miracles, saw him walk on water, saw him feed the, the, the thousands of people with a little boy's lunch, saw him do all this, and now they go, oh, you know, I, I, I hear what Jesus is saying, but I'm going to be at home. I'll, I'll wait for the Holy Spirit at home. Surely God will give me the Holy Spirit anyway. Look, Jesus gave him the instructions. Obedience is the key. Or maybe I'm just busy. I've got priorities. I've got business. Exactly. Wrong priorities, wrong values, so they didn't come. But the point is, God came where the unity was, in agreement. They were seeking God. And the encouragement is, all you need is 120 people. Well, actually, all Jesus needed was 12. And then from 12, it went to 120. But from 120, it went to 3,000. Multiplication was in the Bible. So be encouraged. Because God wants to pour out His Spirit like that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul goes around, teaches this. He goes, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the bond of being made one. That word peace is to be made one. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Keeping the unity of the Spirit is so important, he's basically saying. And then he goes on to say the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers. So we know these gifts given from Jesus, authentic gifts of apostles, prophets. The reality is unless we're submitted and receiving true ministry from real apostles, real prophets, real evangelists, real pastors and teachers. Unless that's actually happening. Again, this is the blueprint in the Bible. Unless that's actually outworking, we won't walk. The Bible says they are given to, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. To equip us. And it also talks about brings us into maturity. So real maturity won't happen unless we're submitted to the Word of God. The blueprint that's in the Bible. Apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. And then he says, that all happens. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher. Ephesians 4.13. says, until we all come into the unity of the faith. This maturity brings us into a place where we come into the unity of, everyone say, the faith. The faith. There's only one faith. Not two or three or four. Maybe there's other ways. There's only one faith. And earlier on, Paul writes, there's one 
Lord, one faith, one God, one body, one baptism. Didn't he say that? Before, he was saying, one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism, one faith. So the unity that's supposed to bring us into unity is to actually, my only agreement I need to know is if, do you have that one faith? Are you accepted? Did you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Do you believe Jesus is the only way for salvation? That's it. That's what unites us. But we read that like this. Are we talking about the last hundred years? I got saved in 87, so the last 20, 30 years, we, the church is maturing. The hope is this. The church is maturing and growing, and we're becoming more like this. Right? But we used to read it like the unity of doctrine. Unless your doctrine's like me, we're not brothers and sisters. We don't belong to the same Lord. My doctrine can be different to yours, but I still serve the same Lord. You, you belong to the same God, same Father, same body, same faith, same baptism. But your doctrine's a little bit different to mine. It doesn't make any difference. I'm unity with you. Your doctrine might be about end of the world, and it might be completely different to what I believe. We're still one. Then we read it as the unity of methodology. Until we all have the right, the same methodology, we're not in unity. You know, but that's, there's so many churches that do it all different. Even in Sydney, even in Australia, our methodology is completely different. But is the faith the same? Yes. Then you're my brother. You're my family. You belong to the same God. This is happening. God is moving. God's going to do this. God's going to answer Jesus' prayer. Methodology. What about culture? Go to India. Completely different culture. We go and worship with them. Go to church. Different culture. Same Jesus. Same Lord. Same faith. I don't have to worship like their culture. It's not the unity of our culture. You'll be surprised how we read it through those lens or, or, or live our life through those lens. It's the unity of the faith that realizes that we are one. So when, God, when we bring... Uh, like God wants to do a, a massive, I don't know, revival in Sydney. We're going to need the church to be the nets. The church needs to work together. The churches, the church is one church, but we're talking about the different congregation have to work together. So when thousands of people get saved, we follow them up and disciple them. All of us, all the different churches all over Sydney. That's unity. That's oneness. It's happening. It's going to happen more and more. But the glory of God will bring us together. I mean, when you're, in the, when you're in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, 120 people, Holy Spirit just comes, you're speaking in tongues. You're not going to worry. There's unity. You're not going to be backbiting or speaking negative or criticizing or worrying about. What do you actually believe? If you go to Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, this is Old Testament, just really quickly. Trying to land this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory. I will, this is God's promise, I will fill this house with God's glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold. Interesting how he always throws that in. The wealth of the nations and the silver and the It's like God's going to need the wealth of the nations, the silver and the gold, because it's his, to establish this, the, 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 the house of the Lord. And when I say house, I'm not talking about physical body or physical building. I'm talking about the house of the Lord, the people. And uh, the later glory of this house will be greater than the former one, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. So the later glory of this house is going to be better than the former one. Now, obviously, there's only two ways to understand this. Either it's the physical temple or it's the spiritual temple. I'm 100% convinced it's a spiritual temple. But if in the physical temple, the Old 
Solomon's temple was destroyed. Babylonians came, totally destroyed it. And then they restored it. Okay, they, there was a time where they, the, the prophet spoke and Cyrus, the, the king, said, yes, we, you know, we'll give you all the resources and send the people back, go, re, go rebuild. So when they did rebuild it, it wasn't better in appearance to the old. They actually said it in the Bible, chapter, Haggai 2, verse 3, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it, does it not seem to you like nothing? No, it's compared to what it was, full of gold overlaid and silver and magnificent precious stones. And it was magnificent. Billions of dollars went into the, that physical temple. But in the, the restored one wasn't nowhere near to the appearance of that. Plus, in the first temple, the presence of God's glory came when all the musicians came to worship. And the presence of God was so thick with a cloud, they couldn't even stand to minister. They were falling and shaking and falling down. And they had to get out because they couldn't handle it. That's old covenant. Old covenant is inferior to new covenant. This is, this is going to be encouraging. Please be encouraged by the word of God. We're living in the New Testament. Far superior promises. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. They never did in the old covenant. Yet in the old covenant, Moses spent time with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And his face shone so bright they couldn't handle looking at him. So they put a veil on his face from the glory that he experienced in God's presence. The old covenant stories, you think of all the miracles, the 10 plagues in Egypt. And then he brings 3 million people between two gorges because God tells him, go between the two gorges. I want, this is what the Bible says. God says, I want Pharaoh to, Pharaoh to think you're, they're trapped. He's bringing Pharaoh back out with his army. And so they get caught between the Red Sea, two gorges, and Pharaoh thinks grabs the army. But the glory, fire by night. The cloud by day kept them at bay for as long as they needed. Presence of God. And Moses cries out, God, I mean, what a leader. Sometimes we think we have to make big decisions to lead people in certain areas. Moses led three million people, looked like in the natural, to their death. They're trapped. Oh my God, everyone's thinking, you brought us out here to kill us. Ah! And Moses, God, what's happening? God says, don't cry out to me. Stretch forth your hand. Now there's the miracles you saw in plague. The plagues and miracles that I performed through your hands. Speak, stretch forth your staff to the, to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea all night started to split. I walked on dry ground. What a miracle. Jericho walls falling down. Jordan stopping from flowing from way up far. And then they walked across. They killed, taken on Goliaths. They won supernaturally wars where angels killed 160,000 army just by an angel's strike of his sword miracle after miracle the sun standing still Joshua spoke to the sun the sun stood still we've got a better promise if you go to the book of Acts and see the way they lived Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 no, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 sorry verse 11 for if what was passing, our covenant, was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. And then in verse 10, For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. The old covenant was glorious, was pretty powerful, but compared to the New Testament glory, it excels to the point where that doesn't even... To me, it's like the moon has some, some reflection on it, some light from it, but it, it doesn't compare to the sun. The Old Testament is like the moon reflection, but we've got the sun, the glory of God. 
But we've got to be hungry to get into His face and let Him beam His His light beams of glory onto you. And in Hebrews chapter 12, I just want to show you something very important. Please listen up to this. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews quotes Haggai. I want to show you that if he's quoting this 67 years before, I'm sorry, after the book of Acts. So all the miracles in the book of Acts, the early church, should not compare to what's going to happen in the last days. And he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, he's quoting it 60 years after the book of Acts, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory. Which house? The later day house of God's glory. Says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The later glory of this house will be greater than the former one. Because when you read it in Haggai, you can think, well, the, 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 the time of the birthing of the church, the whole time is going to be better that temple is going to be better than Old Covenant. But when you read it in Hebrews, and it's 60 years after the book of Acts, you've got to see that interpretation is it's the last day church. Jesus stood in the middle of the physical temple of Jerusalem and said, imagine saying this, in the middle of the physical temple, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll lift it up again. I'll raise it up again. They thought, what? It took 46 years to build this temple. They totally misunderstood what he was saying, didn't they? They didn't interpret his prophetic word. He's talking about his death on the cross and his resurrection. He's talking about his physical body. They're talking about this physical building. Haggai's talking about the spiritual temple of God's church. You are God's living stones, built and knitted together to make a holy temple unto God. Ephesians says that. First Peter and Second Peter talks about the temple. You are the spiritual stones. We are God's house. And we are the last day. So you think about the miracles in the book of Acts. Just think of the 38-year-old cripple that could never walk all his life. And Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, such I have. Get up in the name of Jesus. And he, this is baby church miracles. Peter, Dorcas dies. They ra- get Peter, get Peter. And Peter raises Dorcas from the dead. A few people got raised from the dead in the, in, in the early church. Paul hugs someone that falls off a three-story building and dies. And the Bible says Paul hugs him and his life came back into him. To the point where in Jerusalem, such great outpouring that happened in that city of Jerusalem, that the Bible says, it's in the Bible. So you guys think I'm making this up. You know I'm not making it up. It's in the Bible. That they brought the sick in couches and beds into the streets of Jerusalem that if by chance Peter might happen to walk past and his shadow might just touch him. Think about the level of faith for a moment, please. Imagine if this place was filled with sick people out in the streets because the people from GGC are walking out. They're going to walk out and you never know, they shadow might, and you get healed. And then it says in all the surrounding towns and cities, they brought the sick. In the book of Acts it says, and every single one of them were healed. And yet we're going to come into a time, the last day outpouring of God's glory is going to be surpassing the early church. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do you want to be a part of it? The only way we're going to be a part of it is being in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus over and over. That's what we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Falling in love with Him. And because we're in love with Him, we can't help but do the works of Jesus. In Ecclesiastes it says, The end of a thing is better than the beginning. Jesus says, The works that I do shall you 
do also. And greater works than these. I mean, it's throughout the whole Bible. Be stirred up and be ready for a massive, great outpouring. I don't know whether it's going to... I think God's waiting for us. We're waiting for Him. You know, God, come for a visitation. We pray for a visitation. God said, you are the visitation. Acts chapter 2, I'll pour out of my spirit. Where is His spirit? In His temple. We are His temple. He'll pour out of us into the world. By the works and miracles and preaching and healing and deliverance and preaching the gospel out of your lips and my lips. Amen. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.